love seems to be one of those few things in our society that uh, everybody can agree on, at least to the extent that uh, we all think it's a good thing and we like it and we would like more of it. But this leads to the question of, well, what, what is true love? And how do you measure it? How do you measure love? Can it be measured? St. Thomas Aquinas uh, has sort of many different categories and types of love, but, but he makes one, sort of at the outset, one basic division. He talks about the love of desire uh, or the love of concupiscence, to use the technical theological term, and the love of friendship. And the love of desire is to love something for what it does for me. And the love of friendship is to love something for its own sake. It's not rooted in, well, what, what can I get out of this? So the love of desire might be the way that you love uh, a Big Mac, you know, or your plumber for unclogging your toilet or whatever, you know. But that's not the same thing as, as the love of friendship. You know, I think you would naturally hope that your friends don't love you in that same way. You know. Um, now, one thing to note is that Thomas does not think that the love of desire is bad in itself. It's not, it's not wrong to love a Big Mac for what it can do for you. It's not wrong to love your plumber because he's good at fixing your toilet. You know, it's not wrong for loving a friend because they're really good at helping you with your calculus homework. Those are all perfectly fine kinds of, of love. And says so St. Thomas, it's actually possible to love God with that kind of love. Um, that's really, in a way, what hope is about. It's, it's the desire for God, not because, for God's sake, and this is what he wants from me, but it's I desire God because he will make me happy. And it's perfectly good to desire God in that kind of way. It's actually the perfection of the love of desire, in, in a sense. But that can't be the whole of the story. And this is where the love of friendship has to come in. And it's different than the love of desire, not just in like degree, but in, in kind. It's a different kind of love that creates a different kind of relationship. And in a way, it's, a, it's a, I think, a truly human love. You know, It's a love that sort of goes out from oneself. It's not concerned with what's good for me or self-preservation. It's really about the other. And when that kind of love, that kind of love of friendship is rooted in supernatural faith, what you end up with is supernatural love, divine love. So then the question becomes, well, how do we know if we have that kind of love and, and how much of it do we have, you know? Because this is kind of important, actually. You know, when, when you die uh, and you go before the gates of heaven uh, to be judged... Uh, the, the, the key criteria for getting in is, do you have that divine love? The answer is yes, it's going to be a good day. The answer is no, it's not. So this is, this is sort of an important thing. How, how can we know that we have this kind, of, uh, this kind of love? And in today's, today's gospel, I think Jesus gives us the answer. That the key the key measure of that kind of love, of the love of friendship, is sacrifice. It's the cross. 
how much are we willing to give to others? How much are we willing to suffer for the sake of, of others? And we could say, well, we, we should know that just by looking at his life, right? We look at the cross. It's there at the front of church at Mass. You know, that's sort of the, the image of, it's the image of our salvation. It's the image of the reality that is being represented on the altar under the appearance of bread and wine. So it's an important image. And I think maybe we should have figured that out on our own. But just in case we had problems, Jesus spells it out rather clearly. Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it. It's kind of a, I mean, it's a tall order in a sense to lose one's self, to really give oneself entirely. But I think this is something we should want to know. And actually, that's what humility is about. It's, it's, humility is wanting to know where I'm really at in my relationship with God. That's what, that's what humility is centered on. It's just the truth, the desire for the truth. And that's important because, you know, uh, you've heard the phrase, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, raise your hand if you have not heard the phrase, Jesus meets you where you're at. One person, two people, Okay. All three, all the rest of you have heard, look, Jesus, God meets you where you're at. Jesus meets you where you're at. And it's perfectly true. Um, the problem is we are often not where we are at. We think we're somewhere else. And so if Jesus is waiting for us where we're at, and we are elsewhere, it's hard to meet him. And that's why humility is the foundation of the relationship. Because humility tells us where we're at and where Jesus will meet us. And so in in our relationship with God, I think sacrifice plays a kind of dual role uh, in its connection with, uh, part of its connection with humility. So the first sort of key piece of sacrifice um, in, in its role in our lives, I think is Jesus talks about picking up our cross, but the first thing we need to do is acknowledge that he has picked up his for our sake. And, and to put this in sort of more common terms, it means that we are a burden to Jesus. We're a burden to him. Our sins have caused him suffering. You know, in this, in this relationship, in this friendship, it has not been all beer and Skittles for Jesus because we have made it difficult for him. And, and that's, I think, a first sort of key part, maybe a foundational part of having faith, of being a Christian, of believing and accepting that Jesus loves me and wants my friendship and is willing to suffer to have that friendship. That's the first part of it. I think it's, there's an instinct, a natural instinct in relationships to not want to be a burden to others. And there's some, in a sense, some goodness to it, you know, you, you People you care about, you don't want to just sort of cause them endless suffering. Um, that's understandable. But if we have the desire to never be a burden to anyone else, if that's something we will not allow to happen, what we're really saying is, I don't want to be loved. If I won't let myself be a burden sometimes, then I will never let myself be loved. 
because we're not perfect. And in loving us, people are going to have to suffer because of that. And some people are willing to do that. Not just Jesus, but other people too. And so when, when we say, I will never allow myself to be a burden to someone else, we're rejecting their desire to sacrifice for us. And that can't happen in Christian life. If we say that to God, it's kind of the end of things. Because, because the foundational reality of our friendship with God is that we are a burden. And he's still happy to take that burden and to love us anyway. So that's why sacrifice is so important. The first thing we need to do before we make sacrifices to God is we need to accept his sacrifice for us. That's why it's so key. I think the Mass trains us to do that because what happens at the start of every Mass? After the sign of the cross, we immediately think about all the sins that we've committed, all the burdens that we have put on God from the previous week, and we ask God for his mercy. So think about that. I mean, it's a strange sort of ritual that, you know, it's supposed to bring us closer to God and it's supposed to help us love him and yada, yada, yada. And we begin by bringing all the things that have not gone well, all the things we've done wrong. But I think it says something beautiful about Christianity's conception of God's love, that that's the appropriate way to start worship. That that's the first thing we bring God. Before we give him glory in the Gloria, we bring him our sins and ask for his mercy. That's the first way we accept sacrifice in the Mass. But then it has to lead to something. So the first job of sacrifice is we have to accept Christ's sacrifice. And the second thing is we have to pick up our cross and, and sacrifice for him. And, and the cross is something that is... Uh, not pleasant. It's it's painful. It's literally an instrument of torture in the ancient world. It was devised by the Romans, who are very good at terror. You know, yesterday, 20th anniversary of 9/11, uh, greatest terrorist attack on on U.S. soil, um, and the effect of it. I mean, you were all like in diapers if you existed, but but the effect of that was huge. A huge wave of fear. What is going on? You know, and and nobody knew. I mean, when when those when those planes hit, I mean, it, it was pandemonium. You know, the CIA and the NSA evacuated. The president was uh, literally dragged down to the basement of the White House along with uh, the vice president. Um, you know, there was there was great fear. Nobody knew what was what was going on. I had a bit of a shock myself actually because my father flew into New York the morning of 9-11 to have a meeting at the hotel that was literally in between the two towers. I think it was like a Hyatt there, uh, which is no more. Um, and he was supposed to have a meeting there. And uh, thanks be to God, he never made it. Um, but it's terror. And the ancient world equivalent of 9-11 was the Romans' use of crucifixion. That was their instrument of terror and torture. It was also ignoble. If you were a citizen, you couldn't be crucified. Crucifixion was for slaves uh, when they rebelled. So it's not, you know, when we think about the cross and picking up our cross, we should accept something, you know, sort of difficult and unpleasant. And it's interesting, the, the first reading that we get from the prophet Isaiah 
The Lord God opens my ear that I may hear, and I have not rebelled, have not turned back. I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who plucked my beard. My face I did not shield from buffets and spitting. And of course, it's in, in one way a prophecy of Jesus, but it's also, I think, an image of Christian life and the decision to follow Christ even when costly. And I think sometimes to have that kind of love with Jesus, that love of friendship, um, sometimes what's asked is to let go of other relationships. I was thinking of two, uh, uh, two guys that I know, uh, one who uh, I knew as a seminarian and uh, another one who I just met. And uh, I think both of them were in, were in separate rock bands, you know, and very sort of, you know, uh, wildlife and uh, had these profound conversion experiences and that meant the end of a lot of their social relationships because to live the sort of rock band life and to follow Jesus didn't seem to go together. And so one had to go. And I remember meeting uh, the, the seminarian who was telling me about this. We, I was in seminary at the time and, and he had come over to our community for dinner and we were just sort of getting a bit of his, his backstory and, yeah, you know, has this profound conversion and, uh, you know, decides that, you know, he, like these friends are, are going to lead him away from the Lord. So he literally called up all his friends and said, hey guys, you know, thanks very much for the good times, but I'm choosing a different way and we can't be friends anymore. And that was it. And I, I think my jaw just uh, sort of hit the floor, but There wasn't a sense of anger or anything else in him about that. It was just a recognition that if I'm going to live a new life, I know that if I, I keep hanging around with the same people, I won't be able to. In a sense, I have to choose. I have to choose the friendship that is going to make me the man that I wish to be. Now, not everything that. God asks of us is sort of uh, that costly. Um, but I think we have to be prepared in our lives to, to really give, um, give a lot to the Lord and, and to be willing to give everything. He doesn't ask for everything. But I think he asks us to be willing to give up everything. One of the, sort of an example of that, when I, when I joined the order, you know, I thought, well, life of poverty, my gosh, I love, I love eating out. You know, there's something about the experience of eating out, even at McDonald's, that I just really love. And I thought, well, I'm going to join the Dominicans, life of poverty. I'll never be able to eat out again. Ah. But, <laughs> but that was one of the things I had to reconcile myself to. Because the other life I wanted, the life of, you know, investment banker for Merrill Lynch, if you work past like six o'clock, which basically you're always doing, uh, they give you 25 bucks for dinner. It's like, oh man, 25 bucks, that'd be amazing. No more. No more fancy dinners out on Merrill Lynch's dime. So I had to, I had to let go. I had to let go. Um, but the thing is, I've obviously been out to dinner since then. You know, people are very generous. And, uh, but it was one of those things I had to be willing to give up. 
So the real question then is, what does this mean for you and your relationship for the Lord? Um, I think it's good now just to take some time in his presence to ponder two questions in your own spiritual life. Because I don't know everything about you. And what's really important is, is what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to you. So I invite you to close your eyes. I just want you to ponder these two questions for a minute. First question. How readily do I accept Jesus' love, even if it means being a burden to him? How readily do I accept Jesus' love, even if it means being a burden to him? And secondly, Jesus, what crosses do you want me to pick up? Jesus, what crosses do you want me to pick up?